Welcome to the RSM Podcast Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about Rock Solid Ministries, our free revival service, printed materials, and devotionals, or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, rocksolidministries.org. My guest today is Emery Gullis. Got that right? Mm -hmm. Emery and I just met really a few days ago at a revival in Steubenville, Ohio. Now, this is being recorded in October to be uh, put out there for you in January of 2024. But uh, I knew almost immediately when I met Emery that I wanted him on the Frontline Servants Program. Mm -hmm. I just We just hit it off and began talking in the time of fellowship. So, Brother Emery, tell us your story. All right. Well, I... Um... My story is, the way I want to phrase it is, it's a God story because of what God had done for me in my life. And I, I'm first generation American. My dad left Hungary in 1956 during the Hungarian Revolution. And he had to escape with his two brothers because the Russians came in and it was either kill him or put him in the Russian service as, as soldiers for the communists. So my grandfather told him to get out. So they had to go to Austria and find their way around to get to the United States. So they came into New York um, and my dad was about 18, maybe 19 at the time. And um, he met my mother in Cleveland and my mom was here. She escaped during World War II. Uh, the Nazis were trying to kill my grandfather and his family, which was my mother and her right. sister and family. And... Um, so they met in Cleveland at a Hungarian church down there, and um, they got married and had six kids, three boys, three girls. I was number five out of six. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. So um, we, we grew up Catholic. I mean, that, that's all I knew. Um, didn't know anything about the Christian church, Protestants, anything. We just didn't hang out. I mean, sure, that's what you were. Yeah, yeah, I grew up going to Hungarian school. I was a Hungarian Boy Scout. Uh, I was altar boy. Um, so the thing about the altar boy, I was in high school, um, ninth grade, 10th grade, really soured me to the church. Um, I didn't understand how someone could be up there preaching or doing their mass and everything. And then not like something that one of us altar boys did and then come off the platform in the back room and GD and us and F and us and all that oh and really soured me and um, sure. said, forget it. I'm not coming back. So um, basically the only time we went to church was we'd go take communion, walk out the back door. That was church life. Right. But I was Catholic. That's right. all we knew because Hungarians are Catholic. We're Eastern Europeans and everybody was Catholic. Right. So it wasn't until um, I was a great basketball player, at least I thought in my mind I was. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I played basketball in high school, and that's all I did. Barely went to classes. My grade point average was terrible. Uh, actually, one of my counselors had to get uh, to have me take an art class to have the art teacher give me an A so I can get a 2.0 so I can go to college to play ball. That's right. all I wanted to do. I wasn't stupid. I just was in the gym all the time. Right. So... Um, she did. I went to Wilmington, Ohio for basketball, um, and I wasn't going to go, but coach called me and told me, look, if you come and sign with us, you can work with the Cincinnati Bengals this year, where their training camp is. 
Wow. So I said, okay, that's the best offer I had. You know, so I yeah. went. Well, I was kind of rebellious uh, in, in some areas, not, not violent or anything like that. Just I did my own thing. Mm -hmm. And um, my first day working for the Cincinnati Bengals during a training camp, I show up in a Cleveland Browns shirt. Because, well, I guess that is doing your own thing. Yeah, because I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, you know. <laughs> and uh, Paul Brown was still alive, the owner. Uh, he, he was the actually the Cleveland Browns. That's what they named him after mm -hmm. was Paul Brown. He was, he was there, and he saw me in my Cleveland Browns shirt and just started laughing. He <laughs> called me over to him, and he says, go with this fella, the trainer, one of the trainers, and took me in, the guy that was working with me, into the back and gave us Bengals outfits. So we looked just like one of the players. Oh. It was the craziest thing. So uh, it was fun. You know, like I said, I wasn't a Christian. I was out drinking with them, running around, doing whatever. My girlfriend at the time was the basketball coach's secretary. She was a junior. And I was coming in as a freshman. And um, one night, um, she came to me crying. Um, one of the Bengals was hitting on her. Um, I'm not going to mention his name. It's not worth mentioning his name because uh, he was a Bengal. But um, <laughs> she was upset, and I went after the guy. And, you know, I I had a lot of vinegar back then, you know, so I went after him. And um, some of the Bengals held me back and told him, told him, not me, told him to stay away from her. So mm -hmm. they settled down. Well, I tell that story because I need to tell you what happened next. All right. I'm in the, uh, we all lived on the same floor. All the Bengals were on, in our dorms, so they all lived on the floor. My job was to make sure I gave them new sheets every morning, take out their trash, and get them anything they needed, fans, whatever they wanted. Right. So um, that night when that happened, I'm on the phone talking to my mother, and I just hung up. Because back then we actually had to use a telephone. You didn't have cell phones. Right. So, um, so I hung up. Telling our age, aren't we? Yeah, I, I hung up and, you know, I was going to go back and go out or whatever. And I'm walking down the hall and Archie Griffin, Ray Griffin, his brother, they both played for the Bengals and they both were great players at Ohio State. And a fellow by the name of Cleotha Montgomery, who was a running back that was trying out for the team. They stopped me about that incident. And they yeah. talked to me, and they talked to me about Jesus. They really? witnessed to me. First time, I didn't even know what this was. You know, that's how, you know, right. uninformed I was, you know, about anything, you know, other than Catholicism. So um, they talked to me about Jesus. And they said, you know, if you really want to change your life, you need to, you know, get to Jesus. You know, and, that, and um, something happened, so we all had to go. That was a really short conversation. Right. Um, but I never forgot it. Because I started basketball season when they left. They went, actually, that was the year they went to the Super Bowl. So started basketball season, and uh, I was going to the pros. I knew it. So we had three guys from Finland on our team, and all three of them were playing professional in Finland. I ate them up, 6'7", 6'4", and 6'1". I, I just did whatever I wanted to them. And they said, you can play in Finland as a Hungarian. We can bring you over as a Hungarian. They already called their coach. Really? And I was ready to go. You know, after the season, you know, after school was over, we, we can go over there. I'm beating out the kid um, that's a junior, and um, we're getting ready to come up to Morgantown to play West Virginia. And um, I'm going for a loose ball. I grabbed it, threw it over my head, back to one of our players, and I went into the concrete wall, snapped my wrist. 
Whoa. My career was over. I had to have um, surgery. It was done in the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, God has a sense of humor because he, he was with me this whole time, and I didn't even know it. But um, my doctor's name was Dr. Carver. Good, good name for a doctor, a surgeon. So I, I went rock bottom, was drinking more, um, just depressed because they said I'll never play again. And really hit rock bottom, was just didn't even know. I'd go to the bars at night, 40 minutes away from my house, and wouldn't even know how I got home. That, that's how I was living my life. And one night, my boss asked me to go with him to a um, the Country Western bar that just opened up. So I go, oh, that's fine. So we went after work, and that's where I met my wife. He and I were on the upstairs, and all of a sudden, a door opened. And at that time, the sun was coming, and it was it was like amazing, well, an angelic. Sound. Yeah, yeah, it was just like <laughs> open a door, and these two women walk in, and I said, Dino, did you see what just walked in? And he looks down, and he goes. Yeah, I know the blonde. Yeah. And then I said, that's fine. You know, so they um, they come up and, and we actually, um, we talked to them. I didn't say a word to Anita, my wife at the, or my, right. she was my wife at the time, but she was going to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say a word. I was scared to death. And uh, so they left and they came back around. She went to the band because her, her boyfriend, the blonde haired girl's boyfriend was in the band that was singing. So my wife comes around, she introduces herself to me. And yeah. so we both sat down at a table. And um, long story short is, from I saw her every night since we met until I went into the service. So she had started, she had just become a Christian um, and she had taken me to church, you know, on a Sunday. And I'm like, okay, Sunday's fine. You know, I go to church. Well, they had Sunday evening church. Again, something I never knew of. Right, and then I said, "Oh, cool! I loved it." And uh, then in the middle of the week, she called me. You guys, you want to come to Bible study at the church? I said, "What?" <laughs> and like, you guys do this again? You know? <laughs> and she goes, "Yeah, we 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 have Bible study on Wednesday nights." I said, "I'm in. I'll meet you up. You know, pick you up, and we'll go." What well, was it? Northwest Avenue Church of Christ in Akron, Ohio. Yeah, and. Uh, the preacher there's a guy by the name of Randy Kirk, and two months later he baptized me on a uh, on an evening, and because Randy was straight with me, I had questions I wanted answered, mm -hmm. you know, and um, yeah, when I went in there I wanted these answered, and I said, if if you know, one of the questions was that uh, if God created the heavens and earth and all that stuff, who created Him? That was had, my question. I had that question. That's a yeah. tough question. Sure. And he, his answer was, he always was and always will be. Yeah. And I said, okay. That's all <laughs> it took. Okay. So I wound up getting baptized that evening. And um, that was it. I came forward that Sunday morning. You know, they introduced me to the congregation and everything. Started going to Bible study with my wife's brother. Was teaching at the Bible study. So we started learning. I had to, uh, I needed a job because I lost my basketball scholarship, so I wanted to go back to school. So we went to South Carolina to Holloman Air Force Base with friends of ours and lived with them for about six months. And I decided to sign up for the service down there because I know the military. If you sign up up here, they send you down there. If you sign up down there, they send you up here. 
Right. They always send you away from where you sign up from. So I signed up down there, and they sent me to Fort Dix, New Jersey, <laughs> which was fine. I stayed yeah. there for basic training in AIT. I had to get a waiver to get in because of my wrist. Right. And um, I managed to do it and got in, and and that. Um, so I was in the service. We had our oldest daughter was born before I went in. She was about a year old. Uh, our daughter Ashley was born with Down syndrome, and she had a seizure disorder. And I'd do anything for that girl. I mean, I, I loved her to death. My family did. She was the first grandchild. My dad wouldn't put her down because she's a ghoulius, you know, a mm -hmm. first one and, and all this. And um, she was the sweetest kid. She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't chew. Uh, we had to do basically everything for her because her seizure started at six months and just basically were... They were on, um, she was on a um, research medication that was... They were giving her the amount of medication they've given an adult. Um, but it was common to seizures down some, but it, it, it delayed her development even worse, you know, so, mm. but she was the joy, um, loved her to death. And then when I had to go away for basic training, the first time we were separated, it was the most horrific time in my life. I had become a Christian not too long before then. Right. And so I was still growing. Now, I don't know God very well yet. I don't know much about God other than I'm reading my Bible and praying and that's all I did while I was in the service. So I was AIT and um, going to school and, and all that. And uh, so I got stationed at Fort Lee, Virginia. And what, what year were you? did you go to Fort Lee? I went in in uh, 84, in okay. 84. And uh, Ashley was born in 84. So we, um, we were there. Uh, and I wound up being my commander's driver. So mm -hmm. I was his driver. So I basically had it made. During, during that time, I believe the head of the civilians on Fort Lee was a fellow by the name of Kirkpatrick, Kirk Bill Kirkpatrick. And uh, you probably didn't have much deals with him because he had the civilians, but he yeah. was my uncle by marriage. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. that's cool. We're, you know, you always connect with people yeah. some way or another. Well, we used to call Fort Lee Fort Never Leave because <laughs> no one ever left there. It seemed like they came there and it was, it was well, a my training. Brother, my brother did spend time there, too. Yeah. And, and It was a training was a career, camp, you know, career in the Army. So. Yeah. A lot of training took place there, so sure. you had to really play army because you had young soldiers there, so everybody had to really be strict about you know right. everything. But um, I was there, and I got hurt um, two years, a little over two years in. I got crushed uh, by about five guys, ripped my back up and my knee, and I didn't really do much about it, just healed. And then um, about six months later, I guess, um, I got landed on again and snapped my ankle, uh, my left ankle, completely broke it. Um, and uh, they basically told me that I was unfit for service at this point. So they were putting me on a medical discharge. I fought to stay in because I wanted to go to OCS to be a chaplain. Because there was oh. nothing else I wanted to do with my life at that point. You know, oh. God put this on me to, to become a preacher. I didn't even know what that meant. Right. You know, I thought you just get up there and God gives you everything that you need to say. And I'm, I'm serious. That's how well, he does, but you got to work at it. Yes. <laughs> that, and that and that part didn't I didn't get yeah. because I, I never even, you know, thought about that. Right. And I wasn't a good student. Not that I couldn't. When I was at Wilmington, I was getting A's and B's, um, but not in high school. Right. So I got put out um, in uh, November of uh, 89 right after my daughter was my other daughter was born megan and so we went to bible college and here's how god works 
I don't know what I'm doing. You know, to be honest, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what Bible college really is other than you go there to become a preacher is, right. is what I knew. Um, because that's what the chaplain told me, you know. Right. So I, I go to our old church, North Oaks Avenue Church of Christ, and run into the youth minister there. Uh, his name was David Bean. And um, he gets a phone call while I'm in there. He goes, just hold on one second. And he answers the phone and... He's talking on the phone, and he, the guy on the phone says, what's going on? He goes, well, Emery and Anita just walked in. I go, well, how do you know, who is that? And uh, David looks up, and says, it's Randy, you know, the guy that baptized me that used to be the preacher there. Oh. He's down at Kentucky Christian College, and he's the basketball coach at Kentucky Christian College and the dean of students. Oh. And uh, he goes, tell him to come here. <laughs> and uh, he thinks I'm coming down there and I can play basketball. Oh. So I'm, in, I'm, I'm done healing for a year. So I go uh, talk to Randy and everything. We go on a trip down there. And Randy says, you got to give me 10 minutes a game. I'm 27 years old. He goes, we'll get you in shape. We'll tape it up. So we did. Taped it up. Yeah. I played. There's three of us that were married, had kids on the, on the basketball team. So, um, not to belabor the point or whatever, we won the national championship that year. So, that, that was in 89. So, we all got our rings. He wanted me to play again the next year. I can't. I've got two kids at home. One's handicapped. It's killing my wife. She can't do everything by herself. Right. So, um, I said, I'm out. And so, I, I stopped playing. But during that time at KCC... Um, it was incredible. I didn't understand um, that there was places like this that you go and study the Bible in every class. It didn't matter what class it was, English, you know, um, sociology, whatever it was, your Bible was your main textbook. Right. And that blew me away. It just blew me away. And then I had the best professor in the world, uh, Dr. James Girdwood. He was my Greek professor, mm -hmm. and I had him for other classes. He was the most humblest Christian man I ever met and was a smart, he was a genius. You know, he taught himself six languages. One of them was Ugaritic, went to Hebrew Union College. I mean, all this stuff. He's just an amazing individual. And he and I hit it off and I took every class I could with him because he was for real. Yeah. He was the kind of guy that I wanted to become. He knew about everything. If you want to talk about guns, he can talk about guns. You want to talk about cars, he can talk about cars. All because it led to him witnessing. He was the only professor that I knew of on campus that actually was preaching every weekend trying to build churches up in Kentucky around the area where we were at. Other guys were preaching at different times, but he went to those churches for the reason to help them grow. Taught right. everybody what to do. I had him for Greek two years, uh, two years in a row, and everything is still Greek to me. Um, he just he was such a compassionate, loving individual that changed my world, changed my worldview um, to a more uh, basic Christian worldview that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. You know, I had some of it because reading the Bible and praying and everything, I was getting some of that knowledge and some of the um, understanding you know, God's power in us and the Holy Spirit in us and, and, and all that. But it wasn't until I saw it lived out in him. 
and the grace and mercy that he showed to people that didn't deserve it. That was me. You know, I didn't deserve it. But he was that kind of guy. Um, my junior year, um, my junior year, my daughter, Ashley, um, was, we had to take her to a hospital, local hospital. She had aspirated on her medication. And um, while, we're, while we're there with her, my doctor, her doctor, is calling the um, surgical team to come up and intubate her because she's not breathing, getting enough oxygen. They called the life flight from Lexington to come get her. Um, they got there before the team to come up to intubate her came up. And mm. so she was barely breathing. They life flight her to University of Kentucky Medical Center. My wife and I jumped in a vehicle and we drove up there. We had someone watch our other daughter. Um, she was in ICU um, for uh, 21 days. And um, God is a great and amazing, wonderful God. Her doctor that was in the emergency room was not supposed to be there. He was supposed to be off, but he took someone else's place to give the guy some time off. He came in, and it was actually the doctor that she saw a month before. He knew everything about her. So... When they got her in, they got her back, um, breathing. They had to put, they had to intubate her, and she was on a life support uh, for 21 days. But um, while we were there, God is, is amazing. I can't say anything else about mm -hmm. him. He um, he took care of us the whole time. We were stuck up there. We worked around Ronald McDonald's house. My parents came up, and uh, one of my siblings at, initially. So we're all staying at Ronald McDonald's house for like. Five bucks a night. That's what they charge us. Yeah. And we were at the hospital 24-7. Our nurses were incredibly wonderful women and took care of it. Ashley was in the, um, the first bed, which is the most critical bed, is what they told us. And we mm -hmm. didn't know that until they told us. So she was in that bed. The doctor that in charge of the ICU was an older woman who was um, a Christian. And one of the things that she did is every year she'd go to a third world country and find a child that needed heart surgery. And she would bring them back and the family back, do the surgery, and then volunteers would help take care of the child. Oh. So I was blown away by that. And the reason I found all this out is because she brought a child in, a little girl that was a year, year and a half old um, from um, Columbia, Parents were maybe five foot tall, you know, that's just mm -hmm. who they were. I'm six, four, you know, so right. um, they do the heart surgery and she's right next to Ashley in the second position and they're using old equipment and everything because, you know, the hospital would only do so much. So the nurses were taking turns shifts after their shift. They would take care of the baby. They took that baby um, after three or four days when she was off the equipment. They, she took her home and finished taking care of her at home. But while we were there, everybody from the college knew our situation. I was preaching at a church that had 12 people at that time, as a, you know, right. and they would come up and visit us, bring us money. 
um, the, the um, college kids all knew. They mentioned in chapel, keeping them up to date. So all the college kids um, were writing letters home to their families, telling them about our situation. And so we'd be getting cards and different things in, and they would keep them at the college, and some of them got to us. And then um, Ashley, um, sorry. That's okay. Take your time. Ashley uh, um, was not getting better because of the, uh, the intubation, the pressure that they had to keep pushing in her lungs was keeping her alive and killing her at the same time. It was scarring her lungs up so much and there was nothing they could do. So uh, that's where we're at. And um, it was our anniversary, my wife and I's anniversary, Valentine's Day. So the nurses forced us to go out and have dinner. So we hurried up and went out and had dinner and then we brought back all our leftovers and candy and everything for the nurses because they yeah. were so wonderful to us. And um, it was, we were there March 8th, um, they called us. We, we had just gotten home, it was like th back to Ronald McDonald's house. We had just gotten back like 3, 2, 33 o'clock in the morning because it was just down the road from us. And uh, they called us and said, you guys need to come in. So woke up my family, the rest of them there. My two sisters were there at the time, and then we all went there. And uh, we weren't allowed to touch Ashley this whole time. We could hold her hand, but we couldn't pick her up or do anything because mm -hmm. everything that was on her and every time that they touched her or moved her, her, um, her sats would go down. Everything would go down. Right. So they told us not to pick her up, not to do any yeah. of that. How, and old, it was, how old was Ashley? Ashley was six. Okay. And it was the hardest thing in the world for me to do, sure. not hold her. Sure. Um, so we, um, they called us in. And uh, here, here's where uh, God just moves. We got called in at five, roughly five something. And um, we got there. And the whole ICU was full of all the people who took care of Ashley during this 21 days. Doctors, nurses, aides, anybody that they all wanted to be called. They were all there with us, huddled around us, praying for us. And, and, and um, Ashley was there and, and I wanted to pick her up. And my wife asked the doctor, is it okay if he picks her up? And she says, yes. So I got to pick her up. I, you know, she was probably 60 pounds, maybe somewhere mm -hmm. around there, maybe a little less. So I picked her up. She's all swollen, you know, from everything. So I'm holding her. They put a chair down, I'm holding her. And um, I don't sing, uh, but something just came over to me, over me. And, and you know, I knew it was God. And, um, I started singing, Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And um, every time I was sing to her, um, and my wife was singing and, and some others there, that her her sats went up, everything went up, like it was getting, you know, she was getting better type of thing. Yep. So we would, um, we did that for about five, 10 minutes. And we um, we kept singing to her. 
and her stats were going up, and then all of a sudden, we were telling her, Ashley, it's okay, baby. God is waiting on you. You're going to be in the arms of Jesus. And I said, that's our goal. We'll be with you someday soon. And um, so we were holding her, and the doctor came over, and they started taking some wires and stuff off of her that you know, didn't mean anything anymore, and um, started listening to her her lungs and different things and um so we just told her it's okay baby it's okay and she hadn't opened up her eyes in 21 days mm -hmm. since she's been there she's in a coma induced coma and, and everything so um so we told her it's okay baby we'll be okay we'll just miss you and and we'll see you again and um we told her we loved her all my parents my siblings everybody that was there and they were all around us, you know. Um, and then we told her, it's okay, baby, you can go. You can go. At that point, she opened up her eyes. I, I, honest, she opened up her eyes, looked up at my wife and I for probably four to five seconds, and then closed her eyes and took her last breath. Huh. And it, I, I was done. You know, I, I was beside myself. I, I was... Um, so blown away by what just took place. And then um, finally, I, I had to put her back up on the bed so they can, you know, take care of her, take everything off of her and, and get her ready. Mm -hmm. um, the doctor uh, that was in charge of the ICU came to us and says, I'm going to give you my mm -hmm. office. You go in there and do whatever you need to do. And then when she's cleaned up, we'll bring you out. Well, they don't do that. No. They don't do that. No. They did it. And all those people that came that took care of her for those 21 days, I'm talking interns that had her, were yeah. there. They came in there, hugged us, kissed us, loved on us, did everything they could um, to comfort us during that time. And... Um, I'm just a zombie at this point. You know, my emotions are, are, are drained so bad. I didn't know what to do. My wife too. And my wife was a lot stronger than I was. Believe me, she was. And, um, we wound up, um, being in there for like a good half hour or whatever. And then they said that, um, you can come out and see her. So we did. The group of us went out there and said our goodbyes and they were going to, um, we were taking her back to Twinsburg. We were in Kentucky. Twinsburg is in Ohio, up here in Akron area. Right. So um, this is the craziest thing. I found this out afterwards is one of her nurses, her name, I remember her name, Claire's Day, Laura Conrad. She was about five foot one, beautiful young little nurse, nothing to her, you know, yeah. skinny as a rail. Um, they came to get Ashley to take her down to the morgue. She said, you're not taking my Ashley on that cart. She picked her up and carried her all the way down oh. to the morgue. I found that out from another nurse afterwards. They could have fired her for it, but they didn't. Yeah. That's how they took care of us. That's how God took care of us, right. through them. And um, look, it was the hardest thing in my life to go through. Um, but God, it was all God. Because 
while we were there, a young girl came in with a bullet wound in her face, came out the back of her neck. They gave her 2% chance to live. My wife and I are praying with the family. They're from Hazard, Kentucky. He's a truck driver. We're witnessing to them. They, they haven't been in church in a long time, so we're talking to them about getting back to church, praying with them. Their daughter walked out three days later with nothing but a little numbness on her tongue. Yeah. Oh. Another baby from a, a, a interracial couple died in there. No one was there. We went to them. This is how God kept us busy while she, Ashley was laying right. there. And that, so the ministry was going on. Well, what I didn't know is all the people at the college and everything, they're writing their Sunday schools, their churches, and everything. They all sent money to us to help us. Everything, my daughter's funeral, everything was paid for by all those people around the country. Everything but $1,200. And my dad paid for that. Wow. And I had to go back to school. You know? Yeah. It was March. I, I was gone for the rest of the month. I went back in April. All my teachers were super. They let me make everything up. And I finished the semester. I was so angry at God. So angry at him. I said, I'm here to be a preacher, a minister of the gospel, and you let this happen. And that's how I felt. I was so sick, physically sick. Um, I was, I, I, I needed... I needed help. Um, Dr. Girdwood, who I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. he came and did Ashley's funeral. He drove all the way up there. It's like a six-hour drive. Drove all the way up there. Met my family. And again, everybody's Catholic but me. Right. And my wife. And um, shared the gospel with my family and everything, too. And it was hard because, you know, when you're in so much grief that you can't hear half of the things that are being said. Sure. So, um, but he did a beautiful job. We had all kind of people at the funeral. Uh, I was physically sick, let me just put it that way, um, from the stress and everything. And I'm going to say this just to help some minister or young preacher that may be out there. Uh, we heard some of the stupidest things told to us mm -hmm. at the funeral home Then you wouldn't even believe, and you just got to be prepared for it. And... I had a really hard time. Yeah. I had people come up and tell us that, you know, that there's some kind of sin in your life that caused this, you know, yeah. for God to take your daughter. And I, I, I just told someone today, sometimes we've got to pray for the strength of Samson so we don't rip off someone's head, you know. Forget about the, the, the gates of Gaza. Their head's in, in, in danger. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it was like, I can't believe people are saying some of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. They do, yeah. I mean, if you don't know what to say at a funeral, you know what? Let me tell you what to say. Nothing. Hug. I was told... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, hug them and love them. That's it. I was told years ago by, by an old preacher who had Parkinson's, mm. and it was my first funeral, and they thought it was a suicide, but it was. it, it turned out it was murder, but nothing was ever proven. Mm. But it was it was the wife of uh, someone who'd been a state representative, oh my gosh. and in my church I was 21 years old, and they came uh, her brother-in-law came running across the street saying she's killed herself you need to get over here, and the, the old preacher was 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 with me that day, and I looked at him I'll never forget he he shook his hands and he shrugged his shoulders and they were of course he was shaking, I said I, I said brother Lowry what do I do what do I say he looked at me and said say you're sorry, 
And that's the first thing I went in, and I've never forgotten that. You don't need to say anything else. A hug, and if you need to say something, say I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm praying for you. Yeah, yeah. That was like some of the best things that people said, we're praying for you, we love you. Yeah. You're in our prayer, you know, something like that. But to come out and say something so... I'm going to just say the word disgusting. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I've forgiven these people because um, they know not what they do. <laughs> Let me put it that way. <laughs> uh, or say. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those moments that it it was, I had to, I lived in that anger for almost a year. Um, it wasn't constant, but it was, always there it was it kind of well up inside your time yeah it was just gnawing at me and there's times i'd just get in the car and be bawling just driving down the road just bawling because i it had to be released somewhere sure and um so we um my wife and i managed to get through it uh we almost wound up breaking up because it wasn't we were blaming each other but I blame myself more because I agreed to do the new shots that they wanted to give her uh-huh. because they were, they weren't experimental, but they were, they showed promise. You know, when we did our research, they get, they did the research, explain it to us. And, um, and that basically what happened is she was like a cancer patient and she lost all her immunity. So we had to put on Bactrim and all this stuff. Right. Well, that's not, an infection didn't kill her. It was, she aspirated on medication that they gave her at the hospital and it went into her lungs and that's what caused pneumonia and all the other stuff, you know, compounded. And then she caught something at the hospital too. It's called anoid, anoid virus or something like that. But anyway, but, um, all through that, but everybody from the college helped. Um, they're very kind to us. Um, one of my professors put on his window because he was updating everybody that Ashley is healed. And see, it took me a year to get that. I mean, I got it yeah. for it to sink in. Right. You know, so it, it sunk in finally. Right. And my wife and I, we couldn't talk to you. She couldn't talk to me because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I, I was treating the pain. I wanted to be in pain. So... As long as I was in pain, that meant I, I still was holding on to her. And, and, and in your head, it, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. Right. So the pain, if I can stay in pain, that means I didn't let her go. Right. And um, uh, You felt like you would be a bad person if you ex- let her go. Exactly. Right. And it took me, like I said, about a year. We had trouble communicating, talking. She was angry. I was angry. And it was the grief. It was the mm-hmm. grief. And uh, we, we went to counseling a little bit, and I just blew it off. I said, I, I don't need someone telling me, you need to read this Bible verse. You need to read. I didn't want to hear it. Right. You know, I know what the Bible says. I know she's in heaven. That doesn't change the fact that she's not here. Right. You know, that's how I thought. Right. And, and again, you got to remember, I'm, I'm like, uh, I became a Christian at like um, 21. So this was 28. Mm-hmm. You know, so now I haven't been a Christian that long, right? You know, and growing up with the Catholic system, where I got Catholics telling me she's in limbo, right? 
And all of a sudden, now she's not in limbo anymore because the Pope changed limbo. There's no more limbo. I'm like, where do you guys come up with this stuff? <laughs> but, you know, all that stuff yeah. swirling around. So that was a turning point in my life um, when that happened. It was the greatest pain I've ever been in, uh, both my wife and I. And, um, <laughs> and then I had to get into ministry. I had one more year of school. And managed to get through with a lot of help from Dr. Girdwood and, and, and some others and um, graduated in 92, took my first church in Kentucky. I'm not going to mention the church's name because people will know it if they're from that Kentucky area. Sure. Um, and it was a bust. Mm -hmm. I got there. They loved me. Um, and that was part of the problem. They loved me and not God. Uh, yeah. I should say they didn't love God too, it's just that they put too much emphasis on the individual that was going to be up there. Right. Um, so I preached there, I was there six months, and uh, things are going great. 30 people. My last sermon, we had 128 people, got most of the people back that left that church from all the issues they were having. They all came back. And then three weeks before, two weeks before Christmas, I made the comment that we should put as much energy into going out in our community and witnessing for Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel message to our brothers and sisters and, and the lost in our community that we do with Christmas. How, how we emphasize Christmas so much. Mm -hmm. Christ came so that we have the message of the gospel to preach. Right. Well, as soon as I said that statement, one of our elders pushed his wife down in the pew because she was trying to hold him back, pushed him down, and he attacked me. I'm 61 years old and still believe in Santa Claus. I'm like, you, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. So he attacks me. His two sons are deacons. They start. The other elder, he starts. Well, we know there's not a real Santa Claus. We want our kids to know. And when they started saying that, the one elder's wife put her hands over her daughter, nine-year-old daughter's ears and ran around the back of the church so she didn't hear that Santa Claus wasn't real. Yeah. I didn't say anything about Santa Claus. They did. They did. Yeah. But I found out why. My wife was downstairs teaching the Sunday school class during Christmas time, and she talked about the reason that Christ came. And she talked about the nativity, why Jesus was born, and all that. And one of the kids, this is like nine, ten years old kids, um, asked what about Santa Claus? And she says, well, Santa Claus is not real. It's someone that, you know, and she went on and explained that to him. Well, he went home and told his granddad that was the granddad. Oh. So they blew. We, we run into that kind of a problem before. Yeah. And and for that very, for that very thing, we've we've run into that before and uh, uh, I'm and I'm going to get in trouble here oh, you probably I'm going to get in trouble when I'm fixing to say <laughs> but uh, I we have brought too much of the world into the church yes and I when we began traveling we went back to my home church and when my grandkids came in and everything uh, they they were raised that Jesus is the reason mm -hmm. and 
we would go to a Christmas program, and then when the elders come in, he'd say, well, you're going to stay because Santa Claus is going to be here and everything. And the grandkids would just look at me like, well, that's dumb. And, <laughs> and we said, well, no, we've got other things. We, we were polite. We didn't yeah. cause any trouble. Yeah, I get it. But, okay. but I, I believe if, 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 if you want to do the Santa Claus thing, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against that. Mm-hmm. My kids grew up, and we said, if you want to watch these movies about Santa Claus, that, that's a great thing, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, because they're, they're fun movies to watch, and they're, mm-hmm. they're not fancy movies. But Santa Claus doesn't belong in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a, that's just a fun thing. That people do, and that, that's right if you want to do it. But this is what this is. This is about Jesus. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and that has got me in trouble in several places. And I'm, I'm liable to hear a little bit on the, from this podcast as well. Oh, you probably will. Yeah, but well, the, the thing is, is that um, what was sad is that that elder, that's wife ran to the, their youngest out the door. I baptized. Um, her, the oldest daughter's um, fiance at the time, who was Catholic, and led him to the Lord and had him baptize him. I said, You need to baptize him, not me. Right. You know, I don't care that I shared the gospel with him or anything. You are his, going to be his father in law. That's going to be a tremendous thing for the two of you to have. Right. She even told him, that Emery was right. We're not to teach fairy tales in church. This is supposed to be about the gospel. Right. You know, so but anyway, I went, I, I, they were 20 minutes, they were bombarding me, and, and God helped me answer every question with scripture that they gave me. Yeah. And then I said, Look, gentlemen, I said, This is over. So you have a problem with me? That's fine. We can talk after church. These people don't need. To hear all this, and I and I apologize to those people, and um, prayed, walked out the back like I always do to shake everybody's hand. All those people apologized to me for them, yeah, because they knew them. All these people left that church because of stuff going on in that church, and craziest thing is they sent me a le- a, a letter with ten questions on it for me to answer after this after this yeah uh-huh. they got together for a meeting they weren't going to fire me they would just wanted me to answer these questions every one of them had nothing to do with scripture how are we supposed to teach our kids how to give and receive without santa claus <laughs> sorry don't get me wrong it gets worse oh, oh yeah. my goodness i'm not even going to bring them up but the questions just got worse i answered everything back biblically took mm-hmm. verses put verses down for every answer Send it back to him with my resignation because you basically destroyed my credibility in this community. Right. And uh, my brother called me and said, why don't you come out to Phoenix and help me in my business? This is my first church. So typical story though. It happens to a lot of people. Yes, it is. Yeah. But we went because I think that Ashley had just died a year prior. We took this church, and it was like another death blow to me because I could not believe these are Christian people acting like this. There were some beautiful people in that congregation, don't get me wrong. They loved us. They cared for us. They helped us. They did everything. And I still talk to them today. But with that, Ashley, this church, and my brother calling, needing help, I went. We packed up, 
and drove to Phoenix. But before we left, we're loading the trailer. It's like 10, 11 o'clock at night in January in Kentucky. So it's cool out. This car pulls in because we live in the Parsonage Crush Street. This car pulls in. This guy and his wife gets out. I know the wife because she's come to church. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to get the guy to church, but never really met him. He came up to us. He was a tool and die um, fella and used to go to church. But since all that stuff, he stopped going. Right. He came up to me and he apologizing to me for what they did. And he hands me a check for $200. Hmm. I said, you don't have to. He goes, no, I want you. I know it's going to be hard. I just want to help. That's what the community had. And they missed it. Yeah. And so um, we went to Phoenix. And I, we had started attending um, uh, Central Christian Church in Mesa, Arizona with Leroy Lawson. I think I told you that the right. other day. And worked in the Sunday school and, and did stuff, always going to church. The only thing we did was go to church and work right. for three years. And then um, my dad passed away, um, 59 years old, massive heart attack while we were in Ohio. And then um, I went and we worked at a children's home, acapella. Yeah. Acapella Church Children's Home for a year and then left there, moved to New Mexico and was um, a living with friends of ours that we actually lived with in South Carolina. They got stationed in Holloman Air Force Base. So we went there and uh, I wound up uh, getting a job at the car dealer, Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership selling cars. Uh, one of my customers was an elder at the uh, Church of Christ in town, Cube Avenue Church of Christ in New Mexico, Alamogordo, New Mexico. Needed a preacher, so I went and preached there. They hired me right away, and they said, how much do you want? And I said, whatever you guys can give me is fine. We had just bought a house. The house payment was $1,200 a month. And I would tell my wife, I'm going to be in debtor's prison because I can't afford this. Right. And so, But that was the only thing we could do at the time, so we did. And the church gave us $1,200 a month. So they didn't know. Yeah. So that's what they did. God again. Right. But during that time, I was also um, associated with the richest man in town. Uh, he, his name was Al. He owned about everything. And uh, he wanted to start a children's ranch. So he gave his property, 500 acres and four houses, to start a children's ranch. They couldn't get licensed because they didn't have anybody that did it before and had a degree. So I did it before, and I had a degree. So we licensed the children's ranch, 500-acre ranch, four houses, and the foothills of the Sacramento Mountains. Oh, you can't ask for better. Oh, you know, beautiful. We had a 7,000-square-foot house that we lived in that was their original house. Oh. And then we started bringing kids, and one of my customers, again, at the dealership, God put me there for the right reason because I got a free horse. One of my customers donated <laughs> a horse to the property or to the children's, home, children's ranch. It was called Fountain Gate Children's Ranch. And um, then, um, you know, we got the horse. Then one of my customers was a social worker in, um, in, in, the, in the town right outside of ours. And I got kids through her. The state would let us take them. So I was getting kids, got house parents set up. All this stuff was going on. And then um, they, I had to leave. Let me just put it that way. Uh, they were starting to do stuff that I couldn't do, and I told them, I I'm, I'm gone. So I left there and wound up coming back to Ohio. Long story shorter, I wound up in Steubenville, Ohio. God has a sense of humor. 
again, because the last time I was in Steubenville, Ohio, I was 18 years old, not a Christian, came down here with a buddy to meet his girlfriend, to go to West Virginia to go drinking. <laughs> That's what we did. That's the last time I been in Steubenville until the church called me down here to do a um, uh, trial sermon. Whose church was that? Uh, Wintersville Church of Christ. Okay. And so I did a trial sermon in Wintersville Church of Christ. I just came down here because I just needed to practice. And yeah. I was actually working on a church in Wyoming where I wanted to be, somewhere right. out west. And Wyoming, everything was cool there because they saw my videos and different things. They said, we'll take you, but we're trying to find a place for you to live. Oil boom was out there. Right. Housing was unbelievable. They had $200,000 house and needed $50,000 worth of renovations for us to move in. They couldn't afford it. Right. So that dropped. Another church I had dropped out for some other issue. Oh, they hired someone within their congregation. So I'm stuck. All I got is Wintersville. <laughs> and I told God, I don't want to go there. Yeah. I do not want to go to Steubenville. What is in Steubenville? Yeah, you're using you know, wide open mills. spaces. Now you're coming back. Yeah. yeah. Well, my first church, believe it or not, it was in, I can't say the name of the town. I don't want to say <laughs> that. Well, it was in Kentucky, right next to Ohio River. Let me put okay. it that way. And um, Steubenville is right next to the Ohio River. Right. Okay. So I'm like, okay, we're a little north of the, where we were before. But anyway, so. Um, Again, I'm against coming to Steubenville. I'm, I'm telling God I don't want to go. And so they called me and asked me to come back, you know, uh, for another sermon, and they wanted to vote on me. So I told my wife, Anita, I'm not going. I don't want to go. But one of the elders, Kelvin, um, uh, great guy, he was one of the elders there, and he called me and talked to me, and so I decided to come down. I said, let's just do it. We came down. I preached. And... Um, I was told that no one has ever gotten a hundred percent of the vote at that church. Never. They, they were established in like 60 something. They were actually a plant from this church from Lake Bellevue. Right. And so, um, I told God, I'm not, I'm not going, let's get a hundred percent of the vote. And I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to get a hundred percent of the vote. Mm -hmm. Oh Lord. Guy comes running down the steps. One of the deacons goes, you're not going to believe this. You got 100% of the vote. I'm like, oh, Lord, really? Are you serious? So um, I took it and was there for 10, almost 11 years. Yeah, until we started Hope Community Christian Church. Um, there were some issues happening, and um, we wound up, I wound up leaving. I was going to go to Montana and take a church in Montana and then when everybody found out that I left that Sunday they told the few families that were having issues that they're not coming back hmm. so they left them with eight people and so the group of people that left called me and asked the one talk and wanted us to start a church that was not my plan Nothing I wanted to do. I don't do that to churches. I had no, no, no way to do it. Didn't want to do it. And I told them that. And they said, well, it's either we do it or we're going to another church. We're not going back there. Right. Well, I've been with them 11 years. Right. I love these people. You know, so I and prayed There's a large it. population around here. So yes. it's not like it's a town of, of, mm -hmm. of 2,000. Yeah. 
And I'm not making excuses for that, but I, I've been asked to do that before, but it was in a town of 1,500. Mm-hmm. And I just absolutely refused because I said that's, that's a terrible witness for the Lord. But yeah. in this area, there, there's always there's that kind of tons of churches. That kind of space. Yeah, there's tons so, of churches in this area too. Yeah. And, and so how long were you with? Well, I prayed about doing it, and the Lord gave me the okay to do it. Um, I felt, you know, um, and so we started, um, we started meeting at, uh, a funeral home in town in their, um, or their, uh, buffet center. So, you know, they had a little buffet center there. So I knew the pre or the um, funeral director very well because I did I've, so many funerals there. I started a church and funeral home. Yeah. So I mean, I understand like, that. so we were, we were, we we're not in a funeral home per se. We were across the street from it, right. which was nicer. Um, <laughs> we were actually in the funeral. <laughs> well, that, that would have been something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we'd be preaching out of Ezekiel to raise those dry bones. <laughs> but, uh, so we were there for like, um, six months until I went to the mall one day to ask him if we can borrow a room for a weekend because we couldn't be at the uh, at that dining or, or that facility and so um the lady in the mall the manager was a christian um so she said yeah we can find something for you so they got us the uh, foot locker we used the foot locker well when i was walking out of the mall there was a gentleman walking in and i talked to everybody right. just me and i said hey how you doing and he said, hi, how are you? And he stopped, and we started talking. I, I don't know why he stopped. He's right. in a three-piece suit. I'm in jeans and a shirt. Right. You know, and he stops, and uh, we start talking. He asked me, um, asked me what I was doing, and I said, well, you know, a pastor, we just asked to borrow a room that we can use for the weekend. He goes, are you guys looking for something? And I told him, explained to him real quick what was going on, that we didn't have a place anymore, that we needed to find something more permanent, but we can't afford it you know, the mall. Right. And he goes, come with me. We go back into the office to the GM who she was. He's from Ross Park Mall in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. where he brought a church into his mall and in a 1,500 square foot room and they now they own like a quarter of the mall. Oh. So there's a huge church in there now. Right. And he told her, give them whatever nice room you have and get them in here. So we got in there. We were free for like five or six months, and then uh, one of the uh, other openings opened up was a um, shoe belief store, which is a huge shoe store. Right. I never heard of it before. Anyway, it was the most ugliest paint on the wall. <laughs> it was like, let me try to be nice. Um, uh, parents would understand this. A d- diaper color. Right. Okay. okay. That you got that, it. Yeah, yeah. yellowish green yeah. thing yeah. and navy blue on the top. It was very ugly. Anyway, they gave it to us at three hundred dollars a month. Unbelievable. Yeah, six thousand square feet. Mm. And then they let us use the room across from us for our kids, which was an old Spencer store. So mm. we had all that for three hundred dollars a month. Wow. The guy that owned the mall was a Jewish person. And he said, that's fine. Leave them in there. As long as, you know, nothing's messed up or whatever. We took care of everything. People would be walking in the mall and they'd stop and listen to the service, the music right. and the service. And, you know, we'd get to talk to them and different things. And they sold them all to another group that decided that they didn't want a church in there. So they raised their rent to $5,000 a month. Well, and well, we can't afford $5,000 a month. Right. Who can you know, plus a thousand dollars in utilities, basically what it was coming out for us. You right. know, 
So um, <clears throat> we had to get out in 30 days. Mm. So we wound up, um, couldn't find a place anywhere. So we wound up coming here to Lee Bellevue, Church of Christ here in Steubenville um, because of George, the preacher. Right. And uh, they invited us and we brought our equipment, the TV, everything that we had. And we've been here well over a year now. So it's been good. I mean, I just wish our people would have stayed instead of going to bigger churches around the area. Well, it's um, the area. I know concerns some people because this, this I call this church building a cathedral. It was built yes, for six hundred thousand yes. dollars in the nineteen fifties, and uh, and the area is not what it used to be. Oh no, and that mm -hmm. to be polite, and and uh, we've been coming here for fifteen years, mm -hmm. and and we understand the area, and and uh, um, if. Uh, if, if anybody wants to hear George's interview, I'll just I'll, I'll yeah, bring this he, up. He, he told he, me he's did number fifty-eight. Fifty-eight, okay, and cool. uh, you'll have to again with that one. You got to go to our website and go to the archives because a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of that our listeners are listening on don't go back below about nine, uh, about number seventy-five or so. Yeah, seventy-nine, I think. Yeah, it was, and yeah. Um, but uh, we we've just come to an end, and we we've got to end. And I hate that because oh, that's uh, this this has been Emory. This has been. So good, okay. and I, I know it's going to help our listeners. We we've done had a couple of them. Our, our brother Greg uh, did three of them on grief. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've Wonderful. we've dealt with some grief in our own ministry mm -hmm. uh, among our ministry family, and and uh, this was this is this is good to share. Mm -hmm. And and besides that, hearing about how God took you and how mm -hmm. how the witnesses began to come in your life. And you can look back now, and you can see how everything that happened, even even we'll, we'll call it the the, uh, the 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 Santa Claus fiasco, <laughs> brought brought you to every yeah. place you're supposed yeah. to be today, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and and matured you even more. And I always mm. say that mm. I don't want to go back through a lot of that stuff, mm. but what we went through has brought us to who we are today. Exactly. And God has used that to mature us. You come through the fire, let God burn out the impurities, yeah. and make the you dross, a better person yeah. for what you've been through. Well. Go ahead. The, the one thing I, I, I would say with this talk or situation is that um, each one of us has a God story. Yes. God saved me so many times and I didn't even know how I got home. And I wasn't a Christian, but I know he did because he had something for me. God has something for each and every one of us. He said he had, you know, works for us to do before he even created the world. He had those for us to do. But I think that one of the things that we're so afraid of in our churches is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, you know, Paul prayed that we would be filled with the power that was in Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. That's right. We can't obey. We can't do the things that God wants us to do without the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until I really got a hold of that, knowing that, I can't do this. God has to do it through me. Mm -hmm. That's when I was able to give the death of my daughter back to God well, and how he released me because of the Holy Spirit. And that's when he brought me back into the ministry where I felt I was able to do do justice. And I, I guess that's the way I want to say it, but mm -hmm. to, uh, to be just in what I'm doing right. for God. You know, in his grace and mercy is what brought us through. Jesus so. said that for the seed to grow, it's yeah. got to go in the ground and be broken. Yes. And 
a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to be broken. We, we, mm -hmm. we keep that hard shell, and for yeah. the wheat to grow, uh, the shell has to break. Yeah. It has to crack and break, and some, mm -hmm. all of us go through that in a different way. Mm -hmm. And you went through it in a very dramatic way, yeah. but God has certainly used you mm -hmm. through the years, and, and your witness here, uh, even your witness to me and, and us visiting the United oh, Fellowship said, this man's got a story and we need to mm -hmm. share it. And I, I want to thank you, Emery, for being on our program today. I appreciate today. it. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to say that this, that this concludes another Frontline Servants program. Uh, keep listening, though, for more programs like this, as well as our Just Preaching and Just Music programs. And would you do something for us? Uh, we really want you to do this, listeners, please. If this program has been an encouragement to you, tap the like and follow buttons, share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ, leave a comment, rate the program, and maybe even share the link on your social media site. We'd certainly appreciate that. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you Amen. like a Mississippi rain. I love it. <laughs> I love it when I heard that you say that. It was great. <laughs>